Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bowmead. If we haven't met, I would love the chance to get to know you. And for those of you who are online, we want to say welcome to you again. We hope you'll say hello and interact with our online pastor, Rachel. Uh, before I get started today, uh, what you may have witnessed up here in the front was uh, Miss Betty Walker feeling um, dizzy and sick and needing to get out of the sanctuary. She's doing all right, does not feel the need to go to the hospital, and is going home with uh, one of her caretakers. So just remember Betty uh, today and, and pray for her to be well. Also, before we get started, um, I want to lift up to you and just make sure that you heard Gracie talk about our community conversation on gun safety that will be this Thursday at 6 o'clock in the sanctuary. Uh, we have invited people from different professions. We know this is a multifaceted conversation with many layers, uh, not meant to be threatening, but to say, you know, we need to care about this, learn about this, and do something. So we hope that you'll show up. Uh, we have quite the number of RSVPs already, so if you have not RSVP'd, please Please do that, especially if you need childcare, which is available to you as well. And one more thing, uh, next month we are doing a sermon series called What in the Word? And if you were with us last year, you know that we uh, did What in the Word 1.0 in October. And what this is, is really your questions, the congregation's questions about scripture, a particular scripture, or maybe just about the Bible in general. And what I'm doing is formulating the sermon series around your questions. And so I need some questions, <laughs> and I would love for you to email me, write a note, uh, hand it to me on your way out, or just verbally tell me. Um, but we would love to hear your questions of scripture, and we know that questions are good, and they lead us to a place of deeper learning and deeper understanding. So so I invite your questions. Today we are on uh, the second Sunday of our sermon series called Be Well. We're talking about wellness. We know that in our culture we're often inundated with different messages about what it means to be well, but what does scripture have to say? And so we're looking at these stories from the book of Luke, often uh, healing stories in the book of Luke, that show us that Jesus cared about mind, body, soul, and spirit. You uh, will notice that we have broken these types of wellness down into different Sundays. Last week was physical and today is spiritual and then we'll have mental and communal. But of course, they all intersect with one another. You know, my physical well-being affects the community's well-being um, and vice versa. And so we don't really wanna talk about them in specialized ways because they know that they all intersect and integrate. And we will see that even in today's story. So last week, David Hollis got us started talking about physical wellness. And I loved the reminder that in the book of Luke, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, sitting around a table eating, or leaving a table eating. The choir is back. Y'all, I can turn here, and here they are. I'm just so excited that they're there. What I want to add to that, and I mean, just a very general statement, but it's a powerful one, is that bodies matter to God. Like God came and inhabited a body. Jesus knows what it feels like to be a person in the flesh. And through these stories in the book of Luke, we see that bodily healing matters to God. And so there are tons of these healing stories, and today, again, is one of these examples. Gracie sort of recounted it for you, uh, but bear with me. It begins with Jesus returning from another region where he had just healed a man who was demon-possessed. If you go and you read the book of Luke, you are going to see healing story after healing story after healing story. 
And here he is in this new region, and a leader of the synagogue comes and falls at his feet and begs him to come with him because his 12-year-old daughter is sick. Now, the text says that Jesus was on the way to see this 12-year-old girl when all these crowds began to press up against him. So imagine being like at a concert or at a football game. You know what it's like to be in the middle of a huge crowd. And in the middle of that crowd was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. The text points out, but no one could heal her. And so she came up behind Jesus and she touched just the edge of his cloak and it says immediately her bleeding stopped. And what I love about this passage is that it says Jesus noticed. And the disciples were like, when Jesus asked the question, the disciples are like, what do you mean you're in the middle of a mob? Like everybody's touching you right now. And he said, no, somebody touched me because I felt this release of power from my body. And so in that exchange, which the woman must have been watching, the text says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. And in the presence of all the people who were watching her do this, she told them why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Like this became a witnessing moment. And then Jesus turned to her, didn't reprimand her. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When I read this story, I just heard so many reminders about who Jesus is and what it means to be well. The first was that when Jesus encountered the synagogue leader and heard about his daughter, he was motivated and he was moved to action. You know, sometimes in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your strife, you might think Jesus isn't paying attention, like nobody has their eye on you. But what we believe in the Christian faith is that when Jesus hears that you're in trouble, he starts moving towards you with intent. Yesterday, my son Lewis was uh, laying on my bed as I was writing this piece of the sermon, and he said, Mommy, tell me what your sermon says. (laughs) Like, nobody says that in my house, (laughs) y'all. Mommy, tell me what your sermon says. So I'm like, well, okay. You know, uh, Jesus Jesus, uh, is paying attention in the midst of our pain and has his eye on us, and when you're in trouble, he starts to move toward you. And Lewis, my five-year-old son, looks at me and says, how does Jesus get to our house? (laughs) I'm like, well, good question, child. You know, let me think about this for a second. And so I said, you know what? Even though Jesus isn't in bodily form anymore, people who follow Jesus act like Jesus. And so, buddy, do you remember when you had your surgery and Grandma Edie came to your house and took care of you? Like, that's something Jesus would do. Or do you remember when our whole house was sick and our neighbor Amy came and she just put freshly baked bread on the front porch? That's what Jesus would do. I believe that Jesus comes to you in sort of a spirit type of way, like the Holy Spirit comes to you personally, but also Jesus sends people to tend to you in the way that he would. We now are his embodied presence in the world. What I also heard in this passage is that sometimes we try everything to be healed when what we really need to try is Jesus. You know, we hear all of these messages about how to make ourselves well physically and spiritually and mentally and communally, but 
oftentimes, like, Jesus is our last resort, you know? It's not the first thought that we have. So how do we turn our attention and be intentional about seeking God and God's will and how Jesus is offering us healing? I heard that sometimes healing happens almost instantly, even after long suffering. It says she came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. And uh, maybe you're like me in the midst of being sick for a long time. You just start to think this is never going to end. I'm never going to be okay again. Uh, My son, as I mentioned, recently had surgery. And for eight days, he was like up through the middle of the night like a newborn. I'm like, this really isn't ever going to end. But then like on the ninth day, he woke up and he was like, mom, I want two eggs, three pieces of toast, and I want to go to vacation Bible school. You know, it's like often when you're just sitting there on the breaking point of the cusp of despair, if you just hold on, it breaks. And there's relief and there's healing. I noticed in this passage that sometimes uh, that the woman wanted to be unnoticed even though she went after her own healing. And sometimes we would rather go unnoticed, right? Uh, We don't think that we can advocate for our own healing, the things that we need to be well. It reminded me of uh, after I gave birth to my son, uh, the nurses kept offering me those like really strong pain pills. And I kept saying no to them, like, I'm all right. But then I finally took one. And um, after doing that, I struck a really high fever and I like told the nurse I wasn't feeling well and I needed some help. But she was like, no, it's just the side effects of the pill. You know, and so instead of trusting my own gut and asking for better care, I listened to her. But then when I got up to start walking, like I almost passed out. And so when I asked for the care that I really needed, I had a kidney infection, you know? And so I think, like, why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we not trust our own gut and our own needs, uh, the things that we need to be healed? And so in this story, I've always been drawn to the fact that this woman who had been suffering for so long finally was like, I'm going after it myself. And that's part of what we have to do. Maybe it's not advocating in a real medical situation, but maybe it is speaking up with your truest feelings, with someone that you're in relationship with. Maybe it is not brushing aside what hurts you. I love that in this story, Jesus's response to her trembling and her fear is not to discredit her, but to say, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And we know it, that sometimes it is our faith that propels us forward. It is our faith that makes us well. Now, by that, I wanna be careful to say that I don't necessarily think that means our faith uh, means we're going to be cured, right? There's some situation in our lives where we strongly uh, pray or someone else strongly prays and, and we do feel like Jesus gave us a cure. But there are other situations in which people are praying and asking for a cure and it doesn't happen. And so there's this tension between like, is God deciding who is cured and who is not? Or does life happen and God is the one like pressing through the crowds, running to get to us? You know, I wouldn't personally dare take away the possibility of the miracle but I also wouldn't dare make someone believe that they didn't pray enough to be well, that their faith was too little to equal a cure. And I think 
what we're seeing in this passage is that no matter what, there is this connection between our faith and our wellness. Like often it is our faith that makes us hold on in the midst of all of those years of bleeding or distress or chronic pain. It is our faith that gives us hope in the middle of bleak circumstances. So I believe if we put the effort in to be spiritually well, we can find ourselves healed and whole no matter the situation that we face. Now, it's great to say those things, but like, what does it mean to be spiritually well? Like, what is the mark of success? Uh, I think that we would probably all define spiritual wellness differently. Sometimes it's easier to say, like, I know what spiritual unhealth looks like. You know, I know it's like I'm not healthy spiritually when I'm disconnected from God or disconnected from my community, when I find myself apathetic towards church or through for uh, other spiritual growth opportunities, when I'm indifferent about the plight of others. You know, to me, like spiritually well, deep people, they figured out how to have this settled interior life, this like meaningful personal relationship with God. They figured out like what Paul said in Philippians about being content in all circumstances. They know how to focus on what they have instead of what they don't have. They live a life attuned to the goodness right in front of them. They express gratitude for everything they have. And all of that is great, really important interior work that overflows into everything. But spiritually well, people are also leading an exterior, meaningful, deep life. Like we could say that to be spiritually well is to love God and to love neighbor the best of our ability, to go after your own healing, but also to be concerned about the healing of others. Yesterday in our, our chapel, we did uh, a funeral service for Liz Flanagan, and you, you may have heard her name uh, this morning from Jed. Liz attended the 8.30 chapel service, and I love to watch her come through the door. Um, she came in on her walker, and she greeted everybody with this huge smile, and she just found such delight in worshiping with her church family, and she did that for a couple of years before she was unable to come anymore and was more confined to her home. But as I received all of these stories about Liz's life, uh, preparing for her funeral, what I heard was how much Liz loved her neighbors. Like one person said she was the person who knew everything about everybody, where the kids went to college and who was sick and who was moving away, and that she was intentional about calling her neighbors and checking in on them. Um, she also walked the neighborhood, and so she was always like looking for a conversation and wanting people to know that she was there to listen at one point, she even rode an adult tricycle around the neighborhood. I was like, man, that's spunky. Like, that is awesome, right? And when she got to the point where she couldn't walk or couldn't ride, she asked her caregivers, Eloise and Beth, to push her around her neighborhood. Her neighbor said she was sharing her, always sharing her passions with them, sewing, gardening. And I love this story. She would pick flowers and she would like take it up to somebody's face and say, smell it. Isn't it wonderful? 
And then a neighbor uh, said that in February, he went to Mardi Gras and he came home with all his beads. <laughs> and he went to Liz's house and she picked out all these beads and he put, put them on her and he put her in the wheelchair and he pushed her around the neighborhood and her Mardi Gras beads. And she sang songs and she picked daffodils out of people's yards and were just like handing things away. I mean, doesn't that sound like a person who is spiritually well? Like even with cancer, even on hospice, she was full of joy and gratitude for life and taking concern for her neighbors. I wanna be a spiritually strong person, and I think most of us do. And so how do we grow our, those spiritual muscles, right, in the same way that we care about our physical health and our mental health and our communal health? As a kid, I can remember uh, my mom marking our heights on the uh, inside of the door frame in our kitchen. I don't know if you did this with your family. Maybe y'all didn't put pencil marks on the walls, but we did. You know, I lived in this uh, one-story white house with black shutters, and I can still see like the interior of the kitchen door frame with all of the marks from our heights. And I was excited to have kids just to put their height on the wall. That was it. Just <laughs> uh, and so we've done this in my kids' bathroom. You know, between the bath and the door, there's like we didn't even use a door frame. We just put it on the wall. And I love that my son. He'll notice it often. Like he'll walk in the bathroom and he'll look look at it. He just turned five, and he'll be like, "Wow, look at this difference between when I was four and when I was five, and I have tall kids, so it's like this. <laughs> and he notices like this mark in his height and this difference in this growth. And so I think that could be the same for our spiritual life, right? That like we have this marker, uh, uh, this, this thing we can look back on and say like, wow, I really am growing spiritually. And that makes a difference in who I am you know, our goal is not really just to show up on Sunday and get a dose of the good stuff. Like, it is to develop these spiritual exercises, uh, be involved in Sunday school and Bible study and small groups and personal practices that actually change and transform us. And here's the good thing about the Christian life. It is not about perfection. It is not about winning. It is not about, about being better than anybody else. It is about continuing to rise to a place of greater health and connection and maturity and depth. And I think that we could say we reach this like deep spiritual wellness when we end up riding an adult tricycle around the neighborhood with glee and like randomly walking up to people with flowers and saying, smell them, like look at the life in front of you. Like being spiritually well looks like a faith that heals you and send you out in peace, no matter the circumstances, a faith that makes you well, a faith that says, whatever my lot, God, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Thanks be to God, amen.